And I remember, I remember the lecturer, I remember the, the specific class, we talked about your coaching philosophy. And the question that our lecturer proposed to us was how will you deal with your athletes, because we were talking about sports coaching science, how will you deal with your athletes when they mess up or do something wrong? That's how I can best encapsulate what your coaching philosophy is. Welcome everybody to the Ubuntu Coaching Podcast with your host, Coach Pat, or Pat the Sports Nutritionist as I'm known on Instagram. So today is episode number one. It's an introductory episode. I do want to dive into a topic, coaching philosophies and designing or building your coaching philosophies, how you can do that. So that's just going to be a little shallow dive into that topic today. But mainly, I'm here to introduce the podcast. It's designed for coaches like you, whether you're a nutritionist, a nutrition coach, a health coach, a dietitian, a sports dietitian, a strength trainer, personal trainer working in gyms, you own your own gym, an educator or a sports coach. This podcast spans to all of you guys. And what we're going to be talking about is the science of coaching. And I'm going to answer through short 10 to 15, maybe 20 minute episodes sometimes, very common questions. And we're going to dive into common challenges we all face as coaches in this industry. I ultimately want you to improve the service you provide and therefore increase the amount of clients you bring on because of your service. Don't listen to anyone who tells you the best way to get more clients is social media, is funnels, all of these marketing schemes. The best way to get more clients is to be a kick-ass coach. And that's hopefully what I can translate to you throughout this podcast. A small bit about me, I am a performance nutritionist. I have an undergraduate degree in sport and exercise science, and I'm going to touch a small bit on that degree today. I then left with my degree, and I founded an education program directed at elementary school children, and that was around nutrition education, a basic nutrition principles broken down into very simple layman terms, and we made fun classes out of it in Ireland. We did that for about a year. It actually got pretty big and it was quite successful. I mean, we weren't making any money, but we didn't expect to make any money. But we visited over 40 primary schools in Ireland. However, after getting a few questions that I couldn't answer, because at that time, all I had in terms of qualifications was precision nutrition, level one, I decided it's time to go get a formal education. And so I went and received my master's two years in Denmark in human nutrition. Since then, I've completed the Institute of Performance Nutrition, a postgraduate diploma in performance nutrition, and have worked with over a thousand individuals spanning from the general public, general population with weight gain, weight, lo- weight loss goals, and just improving their health and you know longevity to individuals in the athletic domain, from recreational athletes who play basketball once a week to those who want to improve their performance in the gym to those at the professional level. So I have plenty of experience and I'm here in Boston and I work with individuals with Team BioLane. I'm sure you know it if you're in the nutrition and health domain led by our founder, Lane Norton. And I also have my own company, Ubuntu Nutrition, which you're listening to right now, the Ubuntu Coaching Podcast. Aside from that, 
My third avenue of work is I travel around the east coast of the United States with a company known as O2X Performance, and I deliver workshops around nutrition to tactical groups. And if you don't know what tactical groups are, military, firefighters, paramedics, police, FBI, and more. So I've, at this point, I've worked with that company for just under two years, and I've delivered over 100 workshops. So I'm quite experienced with seeing what works connecting with the general public, with the tactical athletes, and a lot of the things that work in those presentations, the public speaking side of things, I'm also going to be talking about them in these episodes. So without further ado, let's dive in to your coaching philosophy, how to define it, how to construct it, and how that is going to shape your coaching practice. Beautiful. So what is a coaching philosophy? In short, it can be loosely defined as a set of values, principles, and beliefs that shape your coaching service. The way you deal with your clients, the way you teach, your language, your tone, all of these are shaped by your coaching philosophy. This should be the first step that you address when you're building an online or an in-person coaching business. If you haven't already, that's perfectly fine. I'm going to take you through how you can do that. It doesn't mean you shouldn't be coaching now. It's just a step that will help you. It'll help you identify your niche client, your specific dream client, and it will ultimately help you to serve them better. Now, how did I come across coaching philosophy? Well, in sport and exercise science, we did several courses in coaching science and that a lot of the information that I'm going to talk about today, I've drawn from those courses. And I remember, I remember the lecturer, I remember the, the specific class, we talked about your coaching philosophy. And the question that our lecturer proposed to us was how will you deal with your athletes, because we were talking about sports coaching science, how will you deal with your athletes when they mess up or do something wrong? That's how I can best encapsulate what your coaching philosophy is. And now since then, years prior, I've coached in basketball and I've had to hire assistant coaches. And that was a question that I always threw out. How will you deal with your athletes or your clients when they mess up? That's not, that doesn't represent the entire coaching philosophy that we're going to talk about today, but it's a really good question that helps you to visualize what we're talking about. And so I like to use an example of a coach here in Boston for the Boston Celtics. His name is Brad Stevens. If there are any basketball fans listening, you'll know him. If you're not a basketball fan, don't worry. It's a really good example anyway. He's a coach who took over the Boston Celtics straight out of college and they gave him a five-year deal right out of the gates. A college coach, first time in the NBA, they gave him a five-year deal. And this was a year he was brought on the team when they were rebuilding of sorts, right? They weren't going for any playoffs or any championship. Uh, their best players had been traded away and their expectations were quite low. And as a coach myself and as a basketball coach and now as a nutrition coach, I watch coaches a lot. I watch basketball coaches a lot because I watch the NBA. And I was always blown away at this guy's reactions or the lack thereof. There was players on the team that shouldn't be shooting a lot of shots. And when they would shoot or when they would do something stupid that just made me mad as a fan watching, I would look straight at Brad Stevens and I would see no reaction. Why? Because if he reacts, 
and reacts negatively, as many coaches do, he's going to lose trust from his player. His player is going to be afraid. His player is going to be afraid to do things later that would win them the game. And so what I saw was that Brad Stevens pushed players to play above their potential by simply not reacting negatively to when they made mistakes. He didn't sub them out. I always noticed that players who messed up, they wouldn't be subbed out right away. A lot of coaches work like that. Okay, now I know I'm referring to sports coaching and athletic coaching right now, but it applies. When you have coaches that, I call them trigger finger coaches, and I've played for many of them. When you make a mistake, you look, okay, I'm getting subbed out right now. That creates fear. That paralyzes you as an athlete. You're afraid to do anything that can ultimately win your team the game. You're just a pawn. You're just moving around as your coach tells you. And this same concept can be applied to your nutrition clients, your training clients, whatever clients you have in your coaching business. Okay, so that's just one aspect of your coaching philosophy. So the philosophy is defined as a collection of your beliefs, principles and values. And I know I structured that differently than I did earlier that define your coaching service, your practice. I've attached a resource with this video, a free resource where you can go down and you can choose three overarching principles or values. And I'm going to give you a bunch of examples today. I'm going to give you 10 examples of what those values could be, where you can define them and then expand on them so that when you're talking to a client in a, you know, an initial consultation to try to bring them on board, when you're posting on social media, you can use these values to shape that post, that conversation, your check-in, anything. And they should be related to your coaching philosophy. So a really simple way to break your coaching philosophy down is this model right here. For those listening, I just showed a picture, just a simple web diagram with coaching philosophy and under it, there's three components, the why, the how, and the what. They are the three components of your coaching philosophy. The why is obviously what got you into this? What are you trying to achieve? What are you trying to help your clients achieve? Do you have personal experience? It's really the story that goes into your social media, into your coaching spiel or your coaching pitch that you give to your clients on the phone. What got you into this business? What's your passion? This is absolutely essential if you want to connect and draw people in. So a really great way to understand the how is when you're looking at therapists online or counselors, you'll often see nowadays that the counselors will list their approach, their scientific approach, the psychological approach that they use in their counseling. For example, cognitive behavioral therapy counselors or acceptance-based therapy counselors. This tells the patient or the person who is looking for a counselor what they can expect if they are to work with said individual. With nutrition, training, whatever coaching you do, there are several different models, approaches, and I'm going to list some of them that apply to all of the domains today, 
that you can list that will grab your potential clients because they resonate or that approach is really effective with them. Thirdly, the what. This is comprised of the goals and the objectives that you help your clients to achieve. And this is really where, alongside the previous step, the how and the approach you use, but identifying the goals that you will help your clients achieve, that identifies your niche. That will help mold your niche. And if you haven't heard already, all those social media posts are true. You have to identify your niche. You can't just be a coach. You need to be a nutrition coach that helps active people because there's too many people out there. You're not going to resonate. You're not going to grab a certain demographic's attention unless you're calling out to them. Now, I'm not of the belief that you can only deal with one group. You can have that group be expanded to cover a range of individuals. Like for example, my coaching practice, I do target active individuals, but I don't say I work with middle-aged athletes who are elite. I say I work with anyone who wants to improve their performance, whether that be in recreational sport, all the way up to the professional level. So that way I'm opening and widening my funnel. And you can absolutely do that. But identifying the goals that you are able to provide your clients steps toward and that you have helped clients in the past achieve, that will call out to the individuals that you essentially want to coach. So if you're listening to this podcast and you're saying, yeah, I definitely need to take this step. I haven't defined my philosophy. I rushed right into this and I just wanted to get more clients and help everybody. I hear you. I was there. But you need to take this step. Define your coaching philosophy. Here's a five-step approach to doing so. Right after this, I'm going to bring you through 10 values that are very common in this field and very effective and that consist and that contribute to a well-rounded coaching approach. And you can handpick the ones that you feel are important to you. And then the podcast is done. Episode one, guys. So without further ado, the five-step process to constructing your coaching philosophy. Number one is reflect on you, your journey. What have you struggled with in the past? What truly motivated you to get into this field? What are your values? What did you want to achieve when you started diving into your nutrition or your strength coaching journey? Step number two is to prioritize your values. You might have 15 to 20 goals that you want to achieve as a coach. You might have 15 to 20 different avatars, different types of clients that you want to help. Love that. Love that. I hear you. But you need to prioritize. If you want to call out to certain people and attract them toward your coaching, you need to call out to them specifically. No one's going to answer a general call. You have to call out to those people individually and specifically. So you need to prioritize your values. And the resource that I've attached I recommend just choosing three for now. You can expand that over time once you've defined those three, but just choose and prioritize three for now. Step three is identify your coaching objectives. So within these values, what are the objectives that you want to achieve with your clients or that you ultimately want your clients to achieve under your wing as a coach? Number four, start voicing that philosophy. Start showing the people who follow you and the people who look to you for advice 
that you have an underlying methodology to your service, to your approach, that you have motivations solidified and you put out information according to them. This will push you up as a well-respected figure in this community, in the nutrition or the strength community. People will look to you as a, I don't want to say a leading figure, but someone that can be trusted. And lastly, this is really important, link. And the last step, which is crucial, but you don't have to worry because I think this comes naturally once you've defined your coaching philosophy. Link that philosophy with your actual practice and your service. And nowadays we can add your social media content. It's all well and good saying, hey, I'm a coach that prioritizes individuality. I know every client needs something different. I don't have a cookie cutter approach. But then when someone comes on board, you send them a generic program that you built three years ago that you sent to every client. You have to walk the walk, so to speak. So right now, if you're not in a place where you're ready to implement those things, that's fine. Still go through this process of defining your coaching philosophy. And then I also have this in the worksheet. Come up with brainstorm tangible ways that you can implement this philosophy in your practice and your service. Okay, now to give you guys the real juicy info for this podcast, I'm going to go through 10 common and really effective values and principles that you might identify or that might resonate with you, that you can put on this chart, this brainstorming chart that I've attached in this video or this podcast if you're listening on Spotify, that you can then use to shape your actual coaching service. So number one, I just mentioned it, individual approaches. Individualized nutrition, I'm just using nutrition as an example, is a huge topic nowadays. People are talking about blood type diets. People are talking about uh, the genetics of your gut microbiome. We don't know nearly enough about any of those topics to make any recommendations on them. When I talk about individualized nutrition, I'm talking about what's your schedule? Do you have kids? Do you have a partner that you have to cook with? How stressed are you at work? What foods do you like? How often do you like to eat? What's your appetite like? They're what I call individualized factors. Not what's your genetics? What's your blood type? Nothing like that. You do not need to go into that specific side of things. And plus, there's no evidence to support most of those. Instead, look at the individual, ask them, what do I need to know so that I can make this program effective and something that you will follow? And if you don't know already, the number one goal in any program for long-term change is adherence. Your client will adhere much better to your program if it's built around their needs. Number two, this one is 100% mine. I follow this to a T, evidence-based practice. Hopefully all you guys do too. This is where you are using updated methods that are according to the research with your clients. So you're trying to bridge the gap between the research, the scientific research, and your practice with clients. Please don't mistake this for you having to now go and be a researcher yourself. 
That's not what I'm saying. Identify trusted sources in the field that you know provide you with information around the updated findings and the updated recommendations. So for example, I'll use nutrition. This is after all, mostly going to be nutritionists listening, I'm sure. Examine.com. That's a great resource for nutritionists. They basically have many meta-analyses around every supplement available on the market. So instead of you having to dive in and read all the research on a supplement to give your client a recommendation or to answer their question, you go to examine.com. Just little things like this, self-education. Just because you finished your degree and you're now, or you finished your certification in nutrition coaching and you're now able to provide that, doesn't mean you should stop learning. You should always be sharpening the tools. Always be learning because nutrition, life strength training, resistance training, athletic training, they're constantly updating this field. We're constantly learning new things as more research comes out. And a lot of these areas that clients will ask about are underdeveloped. So they're going to be, we're going to learn more about them as the years come. So you need to stay on top of that. That's almost a responsibility of every coach. You need to stay on top of the evidence in your field. It's the same way doctors and physicians go to conferences and they learn about the new research coming out into new medications, into new conditions and treatments for those conditions. Number three is the holistic approach. And this is where coaches, holistic gets a bad rap. I'm talking about the holistic approach where you have conversations with your clients spanning outside of just the area you're working on. For example, if you're a nutrition coach, you also talk about their exercise habits. You also talk about their stress, their sleep. As long as you're able to talk about those things and not give concrete recommendations, that's perfectly fine to, you know, have a talk around them and look at how they're affecting the aspect in your focus, which is in this example, nutrition. Number four is empowerment. I think this is a huge one. Lifting up your clients. Positivity. Even if they've had a bad week, helping them to identify the good things they've done. We see again and again that if we have a client reflecting on the good things that they've done and the accomplishments they've made, they're more likely to get back into that the next week. However, if we identify all the things they fell fell down on, and we can absolutely talk about things that need to improve. That's a really important part of your coaching. You don't just want to be a, a motivator. But if you first focus on the things they've done well, or at least include that in your check-in process, your client will be much more enthusiastic about then taking on the things that they need to improve on in the week later. And remember, before I got into these, I said the number one ingredient for a successful program, regardless of the field you're in, is adherence. Number five is client-centered coaching. So this is, before I got into Ubuntu Nutrition and before I founded this company, I called my own coaching practice Ubuntu. Ubuntu is loosely defined as nothing is achievable without a group approach. It means I am because we are. That is how I define my coaching. So I view, when I take on a client, I view us as even. We're on a level pegging. I am not this authoritative coach who gets to shout down macros and recommendations at the client. I'm there to be an expert support. I'm there to provide recommendations for them to take them, give me feedback, try them out, give me feedback, and then for me to adapt them based on my knowledge and my expertise in the area. 
That is a client-centered approach. If a client pushes back on a calorie target or a habit that I'm trying to implement with them, 100% let's regress it or progress it or just alternate it out for something else. When a client has or feels they have ownership over their own program, they're going to be much more motivated to follow it. I can promise you that from my countless conversations and relationships with clients, they will be much more motivated if you give them some say in what they're doing. Number six is a long-term focus. And really, to be honest, you can link this with the evidence-based approach because the research clearly shows that whether I have a weight loss or a weight gain goal or just a health improvement goal, I need a long-term approach for that. And hey, this is good for you guys as well because that means they have to buy in for a longer program, right? But that's not the motivation. The research shows that the more quickly I go about a goal, the more aggressive the approaches I'll need to adopt to get there. When we're talking about weight loss specifically, that can come with an adaptation in their metabolic output, which can make further weight loss towards their goal more difficult. And it can also make it more difficult for them to maintain their progress after they finish working with you. So don't advertise you lose 20 pounds in six weeks. Advertise weight loss, sustainable weight loss, that you will maintain. And you do not have to put a time on that. It's individual. Number seven is flexibility. Be a flexible coach. Use your expertise in the area to not always have to throw a rigid, cookie-cutter, stepwise plan at your clients. You guys want to go about it differently? Absolutely. Let me think. Let me brainstorm. Come back to them with something new. For example, I have many clients who macro tracking just does not work for them. They're too busy, or maybe they've had a history of disordered eating patterns where tracking contributed to the development of those disordered patterns, and they just don't want to go near it again. Perfect. Am I going to say, well, hey, you have to do it? Of course I'm not. We're going to figure out a way to get around that. And what I do with those individuals is we'll implement a food portion tracking system where they don't need the app. They use their hand, fist for protein, a cup to hand full of carbohydrates, a thumb of fats, a fist of veggies a unit of fruit. Or we'll talk about the practice of mindful, intuitive eating. Be flexible. Number eight is have compassion and empathy. I think this is important for all coaches. However, you can base your coaching practice around this. And this is going to be really effective with those who have had bad experiences in the past or who are in an emotionally vulnerable state. Now, I do want to reiterate that if someone comes to you and you're not a dietitian who's qualified to work with eating disorders, and they've told you they do have a clinically diagnosed eating disorder, you need to tell them to find a qualified individual, okay? A registered dietitian, because you are not, as just a nutrition coach, you're not legally permitted to work with those people. But people who have, they're just not in a great place nutritionally, there's a lot of emotions tied up that haven't expressed that they have a disorder, that's where the compassion and empathy comes into things. And when you're on the first initial client call, when you are just chatting to someone over message or email, listen, ask follow-up questions. Don't just be ready to throw out all the things you can give them. Really listen. And guys, I know that just sounds like generic advice. I've had so many client calls in this past year. That works so well just listening. You barely have to talk on a client call. You should just be there to just listen to them 
and then to answer their questions about how you can help them. But I hear you. I can understand how hard that is. Amazing how far you've come already. These kind of terms or these um, retorts to what they're saying. Really important. Two more. Number nine is continuous learning. I've already talked about this. Again, this should be something that a lot of people should incorporate. But you can be a coach who is very, very in the research and you're continuously developing your approach and you will attract a certain clientele who are already invested in this field and do their own self-education around it. And they'll want to be asking you very specific questions. These could be people, I deal with a lot of these individuals and I love it because they motivate me to learn more. But people who are, you know, elite athletes and they want to know what is the best fueling strategies nowadays, things of that nature. If that's something that resonates with you, you're always in the books, you're always on PubMed learning. That could be one of your principal values. Number 10 is collaboration. This is when you're working with clients who also have, let's say you're a nutritionist and they also have a personal trainer, or they're also mentioning different coaches or professionals they're working with that they want to integrate with you and your practice. And so this will actually, this will make you a highly sought after coach if you're very willing to work with running coaches or marathon coaches or individuals who are working with a holistic coach, things of that nature. If you're willing to collaborate, a lot of people will desire your service. Okay, guys, we got through 10 very common principles and values. There are a ton more. Write into the comment section what your three values are, if you have different ones, but definitely click the free resource, download it below, print it off, write out, take a night, glass of wine, some water, herbal tea, sit down and write out your values, define them, break them down and identify the practical ways that you can implement them. Thank you so much for listening to episode one. So much more content to come. I could keep talking here for an hour. I appreciate you all. Love you all. Go out there and help your clients achieve all their goals. Make the world a better place. 